Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hey, Mandy. How are you? I'm great. How are you feeling after eating a lot of turkey? <laughs> yeah, I ate more of the desserts and cranberry sauce and stuff, but turkey was really good this year too, so I have no complaints. I had a really great Thanksgiving. How was yours? Mine was actually super awesome, but um, yeah, it was very small and... We basically just had a relaxing day and just ate a lot of food and then relaxed some more. So yeah, couldn't ask for a better day, really. Yeah, I know. It was really... And and the weather was kind of nice. It was like overcast, but how many freaking Thanksgivings have we had in a row where it's like 95 degrees? Yeah. And and we dress for the season, not the temperature. So (laughs) I'm always like (laughs) sweating to death in a sweater. And this year I was like, wow, this is kind of appropriate. This is wonderful. So it was a lot of fun. Yes, a lovely mustard yellow sweater it was. Isn't that Me and my sister were? were twins, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've done that a million times on accident, so it was fun. I had fun with them. So every now and then, you guys know we like to throw a little bit of non-murder your way. So in this week's story, nobody dies. I thought Yay. that would be a nice way to follow up Thanksgiving since everybody's still feeling happy and, you know. Full. Yeah. So this story is still a twisted tale of lies, secret lovers, and attempted murder. The story takes place in sunny San Diego, California, and Melissa is going to tell us all about San Diego in this week's segment of We Googled This City. We still need theme music for that because I play it in my head as we're going in. Um, So San Diego has a population of 1.42 million residents. I knew there was a lot of people. I, I know we go through this every week. This seemed like a big number. I, I don't yeah, know what that's I... that's a lot of people. I think so. I, I have no idea about things, though. So San Diego is known as a bit of a skater heaven. Some theorize that Avril Lavigne's hit song, Skater Boy, was about San Diego. They actually don't. But uh, San Diego is, <laughs> <laughs> is home to Olympian Sean White, and Tony Hawk was actually raised in San Diego. If you like good customer service when dining out, then Dick's Last Resort Bar and Restaurant is not the place for you. The staff there is encouraged to be as rude and obnoxious as they can to people during their dining experience. People pay for this. That's crazy. They do. I saw a clip on um, Facebook once, and 
I literally thought the lady was having a bad day. I'm like, I cannot believe she's letting them record her being so (laughs) mean to this old man. I was like ready to just share it and like it and give money to a GoFundMe for this poor guy. And then I was like, oh, it's a restaurant. That's what they do. If I want somebody to be mean to me over dinner, I will just serve my children dinner and right at home. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. Talk to your kids. That's the perfect way. So uh, if there is a Mecca for you, Mandy, out there somewhere in the world, it may very well be San Diego because San Diego produces more avocados than any other place in the country. Wow. I found your home. You just found that fact just for me. I did. (laughs) I thought you would like that. I so do. yeah, those those are the facts I came up with for San Diego this week. Don't at me. I'm not very good at this. But go ahead. <laughs> so today's story um, is about a man named Larry Hoagland. He was very hardworking, deeply religious. He actually got a job when he was 19 years old working for a company called Professional Photographic Services. And he started off as an apprentice there in 1981. He was just making photo prints by hand. So I guess when they say by hand, I assume that means, you know, you're in like the dark room with the red light and the, you know, you're like developing things in water. I don't know how that works. (laughs) No, but I wanted you to keep going because I was interested to see (laughs) what you knew about that. More than me. (laughs) So that's what I'm gathering that he was doing there. He met a woman named Connie and they got married in 1985. At the time, he was 23 and she was 29. So the couple then went on to have three kids named Jill, Jacqueline, and Jonathan. And they kind of lived this perfect family life. Connie actually loved taking home videos and she took a lot of them. And in all these videos, you can tell it's just a very happy family, really enjoying their time together that they had. And yeah, I mean, it just looked like a dream life from these videos. Yeah. Um, So Larry, of course, being that he was a professional photographer, he was also always taking pictures of his kids and his family. And um, these kids really just had a camera in front of them all the time. So the family attended church every single week. Larry was actually a leader in the church. They were very, very active in their church. Um, They, as I said before, spent a lot of time together. They took family vacations. They had movie nights. They did everything together as a family. And the kids were all very well adjusted and very happy. And uh, Larry and Connie actually had what, you know, their friends and everybody would consider like a happy marriage, a pretty perfect relationship. So Larry actually went on to become a partner at the photography company in 2006. And the family was just continuing to live their perfect American dream life. And they were very upstanding members of the community. They didn't have any enemies to speak of. Nobody had anything bad or negative to say about anyone in this family, really. So as the kids got older, Connie wanted to go back to work. And since she actually loved taking care of kids, she ended up going to work at a home daycare center. And she was kind of a caretaker for the toddlers that were there. Then on September 23rd, 2010, Connie was leaving her job at the daycare. It was around 4.20 p.m. And she goes out to her truck, gets in, puts the key in the ignition. And when she tries to turn the car on, instead of starting, it blows up. There's just this explosion. So she doesn't really know what it is. Um, you know, what has happened? I think the assumption is that something has happened with my car, you know, something has gone wrong and, and some wires got crossed or something. And it was, it was a big explosion. It was so loud that it made Connie's ears ring and she just instantly felt this excruciating pain in her legs, but didn't, you know, at this point still is uncertain of what exactly has happened. So the force from this explosion actually blew out the windows and bent the roof of the truck upward. At this point, Connie like looks out the window of the truck. She's still sitting inside of it. She realizes that the truck is starting to roll and was kind of going downhill. So she just flung the door open and threw herself out of the car and was just, she said that it was like a miracle. There was actually a person out there in the street waiting to like catch her from falling out of her truck. So shortly after um, that happened, her friend and the owner of the daycare where she worked um, had heard this explosion and ran outside to find Connie laying in the street in a pool of blood. And her truck was just rolling full speed down the street and it actually like smacked into her friend's van that was parked there. So a father and police officer that also happened to be picking up his child from the daycare came out to assess the situation and try to offer some help. And um, one of the things that Connie remembers is asking him if um, she had feet still attached to her body. And the officer said that she did. And, you know, they were 
they were calling her for help and they were going to take her to a hospital. Imagine that panic though. Like you're you're the so whole freaked scene, out. I can't even I mean, it's like a movie, like almost like an action movie. I feel like something yeah. that would happen. Like that does not seem like something that would happen in real life to a person. No, not at all. Yeah. And to have to ask, did my feet blow up? You know, your state of mind, you're still trying to figure out what happened. You don't even know if body parts are connected to you anymore. You're just in such shock. So the ambulance is at this point bringing Connie to the hospital and the daycare owner calls Connie's daughter to let her know about this, you know, strange accident that had happened and let her know that they were transporting her mom to the hospital. So her daughter calls her dad, Larry, and she wants to know if he knows what's going on. And he says, you know, he just found out about this and he would meet them at the hospital. So Connie's friends and family believe that something had malfunctioned in her truck and that it was a freak accident. So nobody knows what's happened, but your first thought is like, the vehicle, something's just gone wrong. Somebody didn't check their recalls. Like my husband always has me freaked out about our recalls. He's like, you've had an open recall. You got to get it figured out. And this is what I'm afraid will happen to me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Still, I don't bring it because I'm not bringing my kids to a dealership for several hours. Connie's being brought back to surgery and her foot and her leg had to be rebuilt due to the injuries sustained in the explosion. They were so severe. So detectives found bomb fragments and shrapnel embedded inside the truck, and they knew right away that that's obviously not something that happened with the vehicle. This is an outside source that's caused this, and they realized quickly that it was a car bomb. They questioned really at first if it was terrorist. The daycare center where Connie worked is actually where several police officers brought their children, so they sort of thought... You know, some theories early on were with somebody trying to kill one of the officers or kill one of the officer's children. And maybe Connie was just, you know, in the wrong place at the wrong time sort of situation where they got the vehicles confused. So they call the bomb squad in and they begin searching for secondary bombs in the area. Rumors are swirling at this point that the explosion had been caused by a pipe bomb. And one of the bomb squad members remembered that he had worked a different investigation two weeks prior where a pipe bomb had been discovered on the street near the Hoagland home. They had found a small device inside of an envelope and there was a detonator that was linked to a cell phone. The robot was sent in, the bomb squad's robot was sent in to disarm that bomb. Then upon inspection of the cell phone detonator, they discovered that the phone had had 18 missed calls, meaning whoever was trying to set this bomb off tried to set it off 18 different times. So they knew this was really the real deal. And the bomb squad realized that a faulty wire was the only reason that bomb didn't go off. So two weeks prior, can you imagine? And I did now, did they, this is, I don't remember this. Did the Hoaglands know about this bomb whenever, you know, they found it in the road? Like did people in the area know about it i didn't get i didn't read anything that said that it was like public knowledge but i imagine with stuff like that though it's one of those things that i mean i I wonder if it did make the news i really don't know yeah (laughs) because they didn't act like they had known about that prior but i feel like with bomb squad investigations like you're not going to hear about every single incident you know that they have so the only reason that it comes up is because now there's been this second you know right secondary one for sure The coincidence of these two bombs was initially overlooked because two different teams had investigated it. Um, So one guy had been at both scenes, and he is the one who connected the dots, which is incredible. One of the police detectives on the scene, um, Christopher Everett, said that the cell phone detonator device that was connected to this pipe bomb was actually um, the first one they had even seen like it in the U.S., and they knew that those types of bombs were typically found in war countries, and they they saw them a lot in Iraq and Afghanistan. So that was that interesting little fact alone started kind of gathering attention of a lot of people. So a lot of people are now wondering definitely what is going on? Like, what is the deal with this bomb? Right. So uh, there was another interesting fact um, that will come up again later, but alligator clips were actually used to hold the wires of this bomb together. And the bomb squad officials were saying that usually people who make bombs will just twist the wires together. I don't, I really don't know how bombs are made, <laughs> but I feel like that is how they make it seem in the movies. Makes so, sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the alligator clips, those are those things, right? That like, um, <laughs> I'm going to sound stupid now. Um, like if you're doing something with your pool or whatever, or like your chair and you can clip like your, your sheet thing on it. That's what I'm thinking they are. Um, that's in my mind. That's what they do. They probably serve better. That purposes. sounds like a clamp. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm getting clamps and clips confused now. But I, I feel, feel like, like it would be that would be like excessively big. 
it'd be a little, it'd be a little husky. I got to admit, (laughs) might not not be the first thing you want to grab in your bomb making kit, but all right, well, let's keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Police decided to look into the phone numbers that had called um, the cell phone detonator. And of course they were all dead ends. None of them linked back to any person. All of the phone numbers that were used to dial the bomb were from untraceable like burner phones and pretty much anybody can purchase those kind of things. So they had really no clues to go on there. And then there was also no DNA or fingerprints left on the bomb. So they're at this point, obviously thinking they're dealing with somebody who really knows what they're doing. And so again, that's why it's very confusing because it was a very specific type of bomb. And so it would have to, you know, they were thinking it has to be somebody who has bomb making knowledge or knowledge of different kinds of bombs and different ways to, you know, different detonators and All of that stuff. So they really still have absolutely no idea what is going on. So the one thing they did notice is that there was duct tape and soot found on this envelope that was holding this bomb. And they wondered if it had possibly fallen off of the underside of a vehicle. So all of these things together made the explosion in Connie's truck seem a lot more suspicious whenever you start thinking about you know, there was this similar bomb. We found it on the street. Seemed like it came off of someone's car. And now we actually have a vehicle explosion with this type of bomb. They started to think maybe that it was not the work of terrorists, but maybe it was actually a personal attack on someone. So then at this point, the detectives randomly get a visit from an old colleague. And it was the former commander of the bomb squad who no longer worked for um, for them. But his name was Eric Stalecker, And he was in town visiting from Colorado where he had previously retired to. He was just in town on vacation. So he happened to hear about this explosion and he just showed up at the station and said, hey guys, I'm here. I want to help. But instead of like thinking, well, this is great. We have this, you know, retired experienced guy. They were actually thinking that it was a little strange that he would just kind of show up and say he wanted to help. And it was kind of one of those things where they're like, you know, you hear about people all the time that are involved in a crime, like inserting themselves into an investigation just so they can stay stay close to it. Yeah. Yeah. So um so they were thinking that that had some could have something to do with it and it didn't really help that that this guy Eric Stoliker was actually a friend of the Hoaglands and he was even with Larry constantly after Connie's um bomb accident when she was in the hospital. So this guy was like hanging around Larry a lot and so the police are kind of looking at him now wondering like okay, this guy would definitely know how to make these things and he's awfully buddy buddy with Larry, you know, the the husband. So they're kind of starting to get a little suspicious now of the two of them together. So Stalaker suggests that maybe Connie's ex-son-in-law could have been the bomber. Um, things ended, I guess, with her daughter on bad terms, and maybe he had something out for the family. But when police find the ex-son-in-law, he's living in Las Vegas and has a solid alibi for the night of the murder, and he has really nothing bad to say about Connie. So detectives become even more suspicious at this point of Stalaker. So Connie was in the hospital for 35 days and was recovering from severe burns and broken bones. When she was first brought in, doctors struggled to control her bleeding as she had severed several arteries and a titanium rod was put into one of her legs because her tibia was completely shattered. She had pieces of shrapnel lodged in several places and doctors were fearing really infection at this point. As days passed and Connie's flesh dried, they would have to remove it in a process called progressive necrosis. And the damaged tissue was being removed to save the new healthy tissue. Connie had to do skin and tissue grafts. My father-in-law had to do that several years ago before I met my husband. And it sounds like the most terrible thing you could ever go through. And like that just seems like an area where everybody's screaming the entire time because it's so incredibly painful. So I can't imagine that for her. At one point during her treatment, she actually had an embolism, which threatened her life. And so while this is going on, police are making new connections and discoveries in the case, unbeknownst to Connie. So police visit Connie in the hospital to question her. And Connie, you know, repeats what everyone's really said, that she has no enemies and she has no idea why anyone would do this. Detectives knew and they told her that they believed it had to be someone that knew her well, that knew her routine, and also had access to her vehicle. And this is really a pretty short list. Um, So Connie said she had no clue who it could have been and nobody that she knew that well would ever do this to her. When she was asked about her marriage, she said that everything was fine, but everything wasn't really fine. Detectives were quickly building up a case against Larry, and things were serious enough that he wasn't allowed to have access to her hospital room. Was that from the very beginning, or that's like after a couple of days? He was. I think this really... is after a few days, after they're starting to kind of piece things together. Okay. So Connie has two sheriff's deputies that are actually guarding her room. And how confusing for her, like you're in this 
um, you know, terrible situation and you want your spouse, you don't want to be by yourself. And now the police are saying your spouse could have something to do with this. So the only way that Larry was able to talk to Connie was by calling one of his daughters who would be in the room with her. On a call just a few days after the explosion, he called and wanted to tell his wife three things. Number one, just want to let you know I'm having an affair before it comes out. Number two, I've been dedicated to you since Thursday, which was the day of the explosion, meaning like no one but you since last week, since this yeah. happened. Yeah. Oh, thank While you. you've been in the hospital. Okay, yeah, we, I don't even we get could that. have skipped number two there, Lair. And then number three, I didn't do it. So Connie just hangs up the phone, but instantly feels in her gut that her husband had been the one who had been behind attempting to take her life. I just cannot imagine even having that realization. But um, yeah, in one of her uh, interviews that she did for a documentary TV show, she just said like, as soon as he said, I didn't do it. It's like one of those things. I feel like it's like a child telling you like, it wasn't me or I didn't do it, you know, and you're just like, yeah, that means you did, like, yeah. you know, kind of thing. And so that's kind of how she described it. Like she was like, well, as soon as he said that, it's like she's, it, you know, just made her skin crawl, really. Like she was just like, oh, my gosh, like you did do this, you know. Yeah, I can't imagine. That's like a lot of bombshells, no pun intended, to have thrown at you at one time. Like, sorry, having yeah. an affair. Also, I didn't try and kill you, but maybe I did. So, yeah. Yeah, very, very crazy. So this story gets even more intense and we can't wait to get into all of it. But first, we're going to take a quick break for a word from this week's sponsors. Hey guys, we are back to tell you about our friends with Poshmark. If you haven't already joined Poshmark, stop what you're doing and get on it. By joining Poshmark, you immediately have access to shop from millions of closets across America. I received my son's adorable Cat and Jack shirts that I spoke about last week, and I got it so quickly because, of course, Poshmark shipping is the fastest. I couldn't leave my daughter out, so I searched for some pants for her, and she's long and lean, so there's only a few brands that I can shop for that I know will fit her. The great thing about Poshmark is that I can search specifically for these brands, so I know they will fit her without having to go to the store and dealing with fitting rooms with children. I'm not much of a head to the mall and hit the Black Friday deals kind of girl, so I've been scoping out deals for clothes, shoes, and accessories for friends and family this holiday season. Poshmark carries women, men, and kids styles, so I know I can find something for everyone on my list with Poshmark. The Poshmark app is free and it's so easy to use. Plus, Poshmark has tons of brands you can shop from like Louis Vuitton, Nike, and The Limited. Listeners of Moms and Murder get $5 off your first purchase. Just enter the invite code MURDER5 when you sign up. That's invite code MURDER5. Have you tried HelloFresh yet? Melissa and I each got a family box a couple of weeks ago, and HelloFresh did not disappoint. With three plans to choose from, classic, veggie, and family, there's something for everyone at your house. And you can feel good about what you're feeding them because each box is made up of fresh, responsibly obtained ingredients from carefully selected farms and high-rated trusted sources. I am not a cook, even a little bit, but with HelloFresh, I can feel confident when cooking because HelloFresh provides simple recipes outlined on pictured, step-by-step instruction cards. HelloFresh makes it so easy for even those of us that are more Julia Gulia and less Julia Childs because all ingredients ingredients become pre-measured in handy labeled meal kits so you know which ingredients go with which recipe. This week, we both tried and loved the pork bulgogi meatballs with zucchini and carrots over rice. My kids went absolutely crazy for these meatballs. So get out of that recipe rut and start cooking outside of your comfort zone by discovering new delicious recipes in each week's box and get delicious filling meals delivered right to your door every week for less than $10 per serving and free shipping. For a total of $60 off, that's $20 off your first three boxes, visit HelloFresh.com slash MomsAndMurder60 and enter code MomsAndMurder60. Again, for a total of $60 off, which is $20 off of your first three boxes, visit HelloFresh.com slash MomsAndMurder60 and enter code MomsAndMurder60 at checkout. And now, back to the show. So at this point, we have Connie in the hospital, and she has just learned about her husband Larry's affair, and the police are also now investigating Larry as a suspect in this terrible bomb explosion. So things started happening very quickly at this point in the investigation. The police had decided to bring in Larry's friend and former bomb squad commander that we mentioned earlier, Eric Stahlacker. Um, They wanted to ask him a few questions, obviously, but before they could get him in, they actually received another phone tip. And it was 
a call that came in from Larry's business partner who um, was telling the police that he had actually found searches on the shared computer that they have at their office. And he actually learned that Larry was looking up bomb making videos and watching these videos and going to these different websites, um, instructional videos and making internet searches on how to, you know, detonate a bomb or bomb detonator tips and things like that. He was looking up on the office computer. Like, I'm sorry, but there is some element of dumb criminal here. Well, here's the thing, Mandy. You and I don't technically share a computer, but we do share. <laughs> like when you're <laughs> logged into Google, we can see each other's searches. And I'm always terrified Mandy is going to like ask me why I've listened to the same song on repeat on YouTube. <laughs> like, Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. It's so funny because sometimes when I do go to Google, because, yeah, the Moms and Murder account is my default. But when I go sometimes and click on that little box and I see the the recent ones that pop up and sometimes I am like I forget and I'm like, when did I search for that? Like, or, I know did I, I didn't look for search Keith for that, Urban songs <laughs> to play on repeat all day long while crying. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. sound like me. <laughs> No. (laughs) Police wanted to take a look, obviously, at this computer and exactly what Larry had been looking up, allegedly. And they learned that he had viewed these videos to make the same exact type of bomb that they had found. So, But they also, without Larry even having to tell them or without even questioning him, they also found out about Larry's affair because they found love letters between Larry and his, you know, other woman – her name was Leanne. So Leanne was actually a woman from Larry's past, um, their way, way, way distant past. They were actually high school sweethearts. And Le- Leanne had gone off and gotten married to another man. And, and she was married over 20 years. But her marriage was actually falling apart. And she, I guess, one night just said, you know who I'm going to look up? My high school boyfriend. She did that. And she actually didn't find him like on Facebook. She found him through his company's website. And so she actually called him up one day at work, which you just have to really want to talk to someone from your past. I feel like that is a lot. I feel like the Google search was a wine decision, but the phone call. (laughs) But calling his job to get a hold of him, like, what are you going to say? I don't know. That is just very strange to me. No kidding. So the spark between them, though, was uh, pretty much reignited instantly. And they began talking frequently. And at this point, Leanne didn't feel like she had any expectation for a relationship, she says. But then they just decided to throw caution to the wind and have a day where they met up with each other. They actually each traveled for this little trip. They went to, they met up in Indianapolis and it was just for one day. It was just a quick trip in and out. And so after they did this, of course, Leanne wanted more out of the relationship. She wanted to move forward with it and she had 
pretty much at this point decided that she was going to leave her husband. So Larry told Leanne that he was also going to get a divorce from Connie, but the problem was that he never told this to Connie. And he was continuing living his normal life with her and the kids, and she had absolutely no idea that her husband was having this affair and telling this, you know, saying that he was going to be leaving her. She had no idea. So in a very bold move, Larry came up with a story so that he could actually start spending more time in Pennsylvania where Leanne lived. He told Connie and the kids that he had gotten a photo contract in Pittsburgh and that his friend Bob, who lived there, was going to help him out with businessy related things and teach him teach him photography skills. How long has this man been a photographer that he needs somebody teaching him new tricks in a different state? Like a mentor. Yeah, I know. I didn't didn't even really understand that. He did this where he would split his time between California and Pennsylvania for three years. And of course, meanwhile, he's lying to both of these women. He's lying to his wife. He's lying to this woman, Leanne, telling her, you know, just, just hold out and I'll be leaving my wife and we'll get married. I don't, who knows what he was telling her. So he was actually struggling financially at this point because he was trying to fund both of his lives. He was still trying to provide for his wife and kids. And then he was also paying for things for Leanne at the same time and paying for this home, you know, that they had together and all these things. Three years he was doing this. Wow. So Leanne just believed that Larry was slowly taking the steps to divorce Connie so that they could ultimately get married and live, you know, live out this dream that they had for each other. Meanwhile, Connie was actually kind of happy that Larry was going on these frequent out-of-town business trips so much because she knew things hadn't been great between them and they had kind of drifted apart And she really, she never considered leaving him because, as I said before, they were very religious, very involved in the church, and that's just not something you do. That was just her opinion that if you can work it out in your marriage, then that's what you should do. So even though she felt that things were a little bit rocky between them, she never really considered actually getting a divorce, and that just wasn't really an option on the table. She said um, she felt like she thought they were just coasting along on this commitment that they had made to each other, um, even though she knew there were problems, but she thought it wasn't so bad that they would have to split up. They also had a little extra stress in their lives during that period because their daughter and granddaughter had moved in with them and their 15-year-old son was still living at home. So the house, of course, these walls are kind of closing in on you and it's getting cramped in there. So she was, so Connie was actually glad to see Larry off to Pennsylvania whenever he would go on these trips and she didn't really question him too much. So Connie wasn't like stupid or anything. She actually did suspect that he was having an affair and she even kind of knew she suspected the person that it could be. Like she knew about Leanne. She knew about this woman from his past. And at one point she even questioned him about it and asked if he was having an affair with her and he just denied it. And then she just kind of let it go. Like I said before, I think she was not really looking to get in, you know, too much, not trying to rock the boat too much. Right. So Larry told Leanne that he wanted to go through bankruptcy before he divorced Connie. He had, this guy had so much debt. He was $40,000 behind on the rent for their business and $100,000 upside down on his home for which he had two mortgages. And he had over $75,000 in credit card debt. Plus he's flying to Pennsylvania and back and forth all this time and, you know, living two lives. So he said he couldn't afford to get a divorce yet, but he promised Leanne that he was working on it. So Leanne waited and she waited and she waited. And eventually Leanne got sick of waiting. And she even told Larry how she felt in text messages. And these are just quotes from the text messages. She said, I'm tired of all your words. I'm exhausted of your whining. I can't handle your insecurities. I've been disappointed too many times. I'm sick of babying you. I thought you were stronger and more motivated than you are. I love you, but you are weak, and I need you to be a strong, motivated man. In July of 2010, she wrote, three years of this. I'm getting worried and tired of all this. I hate this situation. I don't know if you're going to leave me hanging here forever. And after three years, I feel like that's a pretty good question. Yeah, no kidding. Leanne eventually grew to be embarrassed about being the other woman, and by August of 2010, she told her friends that she was trying to break it off with Larry. In early September, she sent him a message saying she felt he should be doing more to make them happen and that she couldn't do it anymore. A couple of weeks later, Larry flew to Pennsylvania to try and smooth things over with Leanne. The first pipe bomb with the cell phone detonator was found in the street near the home that Larry and Connie shared while he was on this trip. 
So police are learning all this information and they're thinking that Larry is looking pretty guilty at this point. They place him under arrest. And at this point, everything is circumstantial. They have no DNA or fingerprints and they can't directly connect him with those sort of things with the bombs. So police finally bring in Stoliker and give him a polygraph. He passes and he really had nothing to do with this. It was totally coincidental that he's like the old bomb genius guy and friends with Larry. So police believe that Larry was responsible and that he acted alone. Larry claimed, of course, he was being framed, Mandy. Wow. Yeah, so sad. Yeah. (laughs) So Larry was booked into the George Bailey Detention Center, and he only admitted to having an affair, but he stood by his word that he did not want Connie to actually be killed. So Larry suggested that it was possible that a local transient named Jerry could have performed these searches that were found on the office network because I guess Larry was just such a nice guy that he gave the transients around the area access to the Wi-Fi from the building. So he was saying basically like a number of people use this internet. You can't prove these searches were from me. But then I always wonder, I'm like, do they really think the cops are that stupid? Like, they do. Honestly, like, people think everyone is so stupid in these things. It's ridiculous. Because it's like, honestly, yeah, but you, out of like four people, you're the only one who knows someone who actually was right. affected by a bomb <laughs> exactly. recently. So it definitely doesn't look very convincing. So the police wanted to um, look into the Jerry story. But in the meantime, they were searching through Larry's wallet and they started looking for more clues. So his wallet was basically like a receipt dumpster. The police were saying this thing was like so thick with just like papers like inside your wallet, which, you know what? I totally get it. The inside of my purse is nothing but receipts and pieces of paper. (laughs) Right. I still don't understand. When I stick my hand in there, I just feel it's just like paper. I don't know. It's weird. So he had a lot of paper in his wallet. They found a small piece of paper that had a phone number written on it. And then as they kept searching, they found another piece of paper that had another a different phone number on it. They just ran these numbers, you know, wondering who these belong to. And they went to the cell phone detonators that were found, obviously, on these bombs. So obviously, the jig is up. You're caught now. Dude, (laughs) dude, he had another explanation, though, for the phone numbers. And he said that this guy, Jerry, who they have yet to even confirm exists, um, they said he said that Jerry actually gave him those phone numbers and told him that this was his phone number and his wife's phone number. And Larry um, claims that he never tried calling those numbers and he just stuck them in his wallet. And that's and and there they were when the police found them. Just so happens they are linked to cell phone detonators to bombs. Jerry's been busy. So Larry continued to deny searching for any of the bomb videos at work, and he even tried to throw his partner under the bus by saying, like, oh, you know, he was also in the office this morning, you know, or at that time. So maybe he's the one who watched the videos. Some of the stuff that was actually searched on the office computer are terms like cell phone triggered rocket project, um, phone igniter, bomb detonator tips, cell phone triggered circuit. Um, And someone had also searched the words cell trigger on YouTube and then spent over an hour clicking through 20 plus videos and links related to that search. Larry tells them that If they want to find Jerry, they can contact another transient named Joe who hung out in the same area, and he would tell them all about Jerry and how to find him. So they – Dateline actually went – this was a Manx Dateline, which I always love. Manx and the Dateline team went to go talk to this guy, Joe, and find out kind of – is this true? Who is this Jerry guy? Where can we find him? So Joe was very forthcoming with information and pretty much just said like, nope – Uh, I've been hanging around here for a really long time, and there is not one single person that matches that name or not even that description. Um, Nothing. Basically said, like, and he he was even adamant, like, I would know if there was somebody who was hanging around here at all, you know, and and that fit that description. Basically, he's just saying that there is no such person as Jerry. It doesn't exist. And here's my other thing. Jerry rhymes with Larry, and I'm like, he couldn't even be more creative with making up a person. It's Jerry, Larry, Gary Gergich from Parks and Rec. I was so excited. (laughs) Um, no, but also like, uh, you know, uh, Josh Minkwitz sits down with Larry at in jail and is like, hey, this guy doesn't exist. He's like, you know what? Could have gotten his name wrong. Maybe I got his name wrong. Maybe that's. He did. Problem. Yeah. He's like, you know what? Maybe his name wasn't Jerry. <laughs> I just called him Jerry. I'm like, so in your life, you just meet people and decide names for them? Like that's <laughs> literally a Rob Schneider sketch from SNL in the 90s. <laughs> So um, Jerry did not exist. Um, So the detectives, of course, are still 
piecing together all the rest of pieces of this puzzle. Um, and so by this point, like I said a little bit ago, they found out about the affair. And so once they learned about that and they learned about Leanne, they actually got on a plane immediately out to Pennsylvania because they wanted to speak with her and um, ask about this affair that she was having with this man um, whose wife has now had an attempt on her life. So Leanne tells these detectives that she had met Larry in 1978 when she was 17 years old and that he was her first love. And then she moved away and went to dental assistant school and then eventually got married, lived life with her husband and three kids. And in 2006 is when things started going down uh, downhill and that's when she contacted Larry. So by the time that Connie's um, accident occurred, Larry and Leanne had gotten so involved with each other that he was actually texting from the hospital, you know, giving updates on what's going on with Connie, telling his telling Leanne like this is what's going on, you know, with Connie. So while she's in having you know, trying to recover from this, he's texting Leanne like, this is a nightmare. This is such a mess. I can't wait till this is over. I just want to be with you. Things like that. Um, What a monster. That's just so gross. Yeah. And they exchanged a lot of messages during that time. And in almost every single message, Larry is telling Leanne how much he needs her and needs to be with her and loves her. As I said before, he just is referring to Connie's situation of literally having almost her legs blown off and having to get skin grafts and all that. He's calling it a, quote, serious mess. Yeah, he's so sorry, man. So sorry for all you're going through. No kidding. So we're going to get into the end of the story as soon as we hear another quick word from this week's sponsors. We've all heard the saying, when life hands you lemons, you just make lemonade. But what if those lemons are rotten and there's no sugar to be found and now you're left with a cup of sour lemon juice? Things aren't always unicorns and rainbows and we sometimes need someone to talk to. BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or maybe something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp has you covered. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist without ever having to leave the house in real pants. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. If you ever find you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional charge. Financial aid is also available to those who qualify. Best of all, it is truly an affordable option, and Moms and Murder listeners get 10% off your first month. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love within 24 hours. Go to betterhelp.com slash moms and use the discount code moms for 10% off your first month. Again, for 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash moms and use discount code moms. Before we tell you about our next sponsor, we want you to hear a little about what they can do. friends for a few years since that first play group date of how much you love your chickens run around your zoo all day drink my diet coke when my sweaters no matter how hot it is but hey you stand by me anyway yeah So this song was actually written several months ago, and we still absolutely love it. If you're looking for something to get your friends and family this holiday season, what is better than a personalized, one-of-a-kind, radio-quality song? Personalized songs start at just $99 and are delivered within a week. So there's still time before the holidays to get a gift your loved ones will seriously never forget. Songfinch's site is super easy to use. Whether you have an idea in mind for the genre or tone, Songfinch can make it happen. Or if you just have some fun stories to share about your loved one, Songfinch will create and weave lyrics together with music and create something truly magical. There are over 350 plus professional musicians with Songfinch and that number is growing every day. Songfinch is great for not only the winter holidays, but weddings, anniversaries, birthdays, and more. Give someone a gift they will never forget. Listeners of Moms and Murder, use promo code MOMS20 for $20 off your personalized song from scratch. Again, use promo code MOMS20 for $20 off your personalized song from scratch. And make sure you stay tuned to the end of the episode where we will play the entirety of our song, Partners in Crime. And now, back to the show. (laughs) 
So to recap, police have now flown to Pennsylvania to speak to Leanne about the affair that she and Larry had been having for over three years. So Leanne had no idea that Larry was still living in the same house as Connie until the police told her five days after the bomb blast. This was a shock to her who had no idea that Larry would possibly be planning something like this. So a week before the bomb went off, Larry texted Leanne that he loved her and in one message he was on his way to go to the electronics store to buy alligator clips. Electronics store probably does not carry beach stuff. I'm going to rescind my initial guess of, guess of yeah. what an alligator <laughs> clip is. So this was super interesting since alligator clips were used in both the pipe bombs as we discussed before. So on September 22nd, the day before the bomb blast, Larry actually texted Leanne to say, things are really picking up speed, which is what does that even mean? Super upsetting now. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Like he knows what's going on and those words are, you know, carefully picked. So on the actual day of the explosion, he sent her over 25 texts professing his love before telling her that Connie was in an accident around 8 p.m. that night. Please use Larry's cell phone to track his location on the day of the bombing. He used his phone from home around 4.55 to 6.35 a.m. Then he left after Connie that morning, which was their usual routine. At 8.05 a.m., he traveled about nine miles east and his pwn pinged off towers nearby Connie's work. He even called Connie during this time, claiming he was out and about scouting out a job location for a photo shoot. 30 minutes later, he was on the move again, traveling towards his job at Professional Photographic Services. Connie got a strange call from Larry around 4 o'clock that day, asking her if she was about to leave work. She said something felt very weird about this conversation, and he said he would be home that night at 5.30, which was strange because he usually didn't get home until around 6.30. When Connie got into her car, she realized it was already unlocked, and she was sure that she had locked it. So she got in, put the key in the ignition, and that's when the bomb exploded. So it's interesting to note here that she said that she had noticed a black wire hanging down from the dashboard when she was taking her son to school that morning. She brushed it off and made a comment to her son that she needed to have Larry look at it later. I have so many problems with that, and one of them being if you're planning this thing to hurt your wife, you know your wife has your kids in the vehicle. What if anything went yeah. wrong? You know, take their yeah. whole thing out of it. That's terrible. To put a bomb in a car where, like, even you know your kids are going to be in that yeah. car. Yeah. Just, ugh. Yeah, that is. It's terrible no matter what, but that's just a whole different level of terribleness. So prosecutors believe they had enough on Larry to get a conviction for attempted murder. He went on trial 19 months after the bombing. He pled not guilty and a lengthy and painful court process began. Connie and the kids delivered impact statements in the trial and essentially disowned Larry. Even the kids were up there saying, he's not my father. That was hard to actually hear. Yeah, me I know. For me too, whenever they were like, like the girls were like, he's like, I am not his daughter and he is not my father. And um, and you understood yeah, it, but they have this whole life. They've had this whole life with him. And now they're like, nope, not anymore. Just, oh, it yeah. was really rough. So Larry's defense was that he was being framed by the mysterious man named Jerry. <laughs> Larry, Gary, Jerry or Gary. Larry's lawyer argued that the evidence was all circumstantial and did not prove his guilt. He said there were differences in the two bombs and that Larry had planned to leave his wife quietly, basically by ghosting her, but that he did not want to kill her. But he had three years to leave her and he never got around to it. And yeah, as Leanne's texts are getting more and more anxious, then, he, then this happens. Come on, man. So Larry actually told the judge that he was not a killer and that the real people responsible for this were still out there and needed to be hunted for. So Connie actually said in court that she thought Larry had tried to kill her other times by putting poison in her coffee and trying to smother her with a pillow. What? Yeah. How has this never come up? How do you think someone is attempting to smother you with a pillow? Yeah, they either have a pillow over your head or not. Nothing against her. I mean, he could have just said I was playing or something, but that's terrifying. Right. And honestly, yeah. probably all those things to her, when, by the time he said I didn't do it, it was like, oh, well, you know, there's <laughs> there's a few more things that you may have tried to do. So, Right. Man. Yeah. So the jury found him guilty of attempted murder. And then one month later, he was sentenced to life in prison. Connie was able to regain the ability to walk within two years and was given the Citizens of Courage Award from the San Diego County District Attorney's Office. She and the kids are living a happy life and say that they are stronger as a family now. And Connie pretty much just says that she's just happy to be alive, which, of course, I can just imagine. Wow, yeah. Friends, family, and fellow church members and Larry's boss were all stunned by Larry's actions and 
just really in disbelief and saying they just could not believe that he would do something like that. And that he never seemed like the kind of guy who would ever try to hurt his wife or his family or um, do anything like this. And one woman was quoted as saying, it is very confusing. That's all I can say. Larry was the kind of guy who would pass up job offers just so he could stay connected with his family. Larry's boss said that he couldn't imagine Larry building a pipe bomb and that he was just a very well-liked, he was the ideal employee and was very well-liked by everyone. Literally everybody was shocked by by this whole yeah, thing. Yeah, man. So last week we mentioned a an, uh, our friend Serena had several good questions. And this is a longer episode, so we'll just pick one for this week. And the one we picked for this week will only embarrass ourselves. But it was, um, what is the dumbest way you've been injured? Mandy. <laughs> so I actually broke my foot. I was in about seventh grade. And um, this is actually kind of a funny story about my dad also, which I always love telling stories about him because he's not here now. We had gone outside. Okay, so I don't know if you remember back in the day, like in the 90s, it used to be really popular to have big slides, but they were made out of metal. Like it was a metal slide. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Are you like, saying like at a park part or of something our, or just at your house? Well, we had it at our house. It was at our house in our backyard. Oh, you were rich. Like my parents had gotten us a slide and a yeah. <laughs> No, we were not rich. Um, but it was a metal slide and it was very tall. And I I mean, it was honestly the worst invention. I don't know who would do that. It just got so hot. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't even go down it. It was just terrible. But anyway, so we had this slide in the yard and we had taken it apart. And so it was just leaning up against the um, privacy fence between our yard and the neighbor's yard. One day we were outside, me and my dad, and like we had seen this raccoon with like babies like holding onto its back or on its neck or something. And um, it was like climbing over the fence. So my dad was like, let's go over here and stand up on this slide that's propped up and it, and we'll just like look over the fence and watch this thing. I don't know why we thought this was a good idea. My dad apparently liked animals just as no much kidding. as I do. <laughs> so, so we do. So um, we go – I'm like standing next to the fence and my dad starts standing up on top of this slide thing that's just leaning against the fence. And all of a sudden it like falls and – like my foot is right there. And so the weight of this whole slide plus him comes slamming down on the top of my foot. And I just remember being in like the most intense pain and just like, obviously we went to the emergency room and they're like, yeah, your foot is broken. So I had to end up getting a cast and walking around, like having a cast at school for like eight weeks or whatever. But it was like the dumbest thing ever. Like we were just trying to look at an animal <laughs> going over the fence, after, which is a very Mandy story. Now that I think about after it, after the otter story, it does not surprise me that you've injured yourself looking for an animal. <laughs> That's so perfect. So um, my, I told my husband, I'm like, oh, have I ever injured myself in a stupid way? And he literally listed like five things in a row. So I just had to pick one. Um, we were walking in uh, in Altamont Springs, which is near Orlando, and at Crane's Roost. And they, you know how they do all the Christmas lights and stuff? And it's like a one-mile yeah. loop. And I had like quickly, my daughter was maybe two and I quickly met my husband and my in-laws up there and we were going to walk the loop Well, I was wearing really cheap shoes, but like dress shoes. And so we're walking and I slip like on the bridge thing and catch myself and realize like right away, oh my gosh, I just hurt my elbow. And I stand up and I start feeling really woozy. And I say to my husband, like, I I might've broken my arm. And he literally, maybe this is just a mean story about him. (laughs) He literally looked at me and said, okay, you got to shake it off because we still have half a mile to walk. (laughs) That's like my favorite thing. If he gets hurt now, I'm like, just shake it off. And so I had to walk in these same slippery shoes half a mile to get to my car with my arm throbbing. My daughter is crying because she's very upset that I got hurt. And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. And it's freezing. So I can't take my shoes off and walk. And the whole time I'm like, I'm going to hurt myself again. But I worked for an orthopedic surgeon. So when I got home, I texted him and was like, hey, I can't straighten my arm. Should I keep trying? And he's like, are you stupid? Like, don't. <laughs> you broke your arm. Like, stop doing that. And but the bummer was, I worked for an orthopedic surgeon. I got no time off work because he's like, you can still work with the other hand. You'll be fine. And like, no sympathy whatsoever. <laughs> I just love that. But yeah, my the big thing at my house. If somebody's hurt, I'm like, shake it off. <laughs> You'll be fine. 
Hey, that's like my motto always. My favorite thing to ask my kids when they start complaining about getting hurt, and this is like totally terrible mommy of me, but I will look at them and be like, do you need to go to the hospital? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, well, then that's always what I say because my son's terrified of shots. So I'm like, oh, um, do you think you need to go to get a shot? And he's like, no. I'm like, okay, we're good here. (laughs) Although even if he needed to go to the hospital, if I said that, he would probably be like, no, bleeding out of his head. No, I'm not doing it. These are, man, I've made my husband and my family look terrible. Um, (laughs) Okay, those were great. Thank you so much for that question, Serena. And um, we will be back again next week. One quick thing I did want to mention before we got out of here for today. Um, If you are part of our Facebook group and you have signed up for the Secret Santa gift exchange that we are doing, um, I wanted to let everybody know that we do have a subgroup for the exchange. It is called Moms and Murder Secret Santa 2018 exclamation point. And um, if you guys want to check that out, if you're already part of the exchange, if you're not part of the exchange, I'm sorry, it is too late to join it this year. Um, But you can join our Facebook group, Mums the Word, and hopefully be around for it next year. Um, But if you have joined this year and um, have not joined the subgroup, please do so. That is kind of where we are keeping track of who has shipped their gifts, who has received their gifts. And there's just a lot of Christmas cheer going on in that group. So please check that out. And thank you guys so much for participating. Before we go, we're going to play a promo from our friends with Crime Sphere. Um, check that show out if you haven't before. Um, oh, also, I forgot. I was on uh, Tales of the Fandom with our friend David, and I talked about my favorite fandoms, which were The Office, Parks and Rec, and Reality TV. Highly unlikely that Mary Mandy will listen to it. But I already oh, listened yeah, to did. it. You did. Remember? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sure that had to be torture for you. Just me talking about those <laughs> things. You're like, I have to hear this all the time. Um, so check that out if you want to. And also we're going to play the Song Finch song in its entirety, Partner in Crime. We love this song so much. Please, please, please check them out and consider them if you are looking for Christmas gifts or holiday gifts for friends and family. Have a great week, guys. Bye. Hi, this is Jamie Rice. And this is Mike Morford. And we'd like to invite you to check out our podcast, Crime Sphere. In every episode of Crime Sphere, we discuss what's happening in the world of true crime news and media. Whether it's the new true crime TV show everyone's talking about, or that fantastic Netflix documentary that you're ready to binge on. Or maybe it's that exciting podcast that you need to know about. Whatever it is, we've got you covered. And on Crime Sphere, we bring you in-depth interviews with some of the biggest names in true crime. Like the one with Paul Holes, who helped bring down the Golden State Killer. And, uh, you know, it was very satisfying to be within Sack Sheriff's office and seeing uh, D'Angelo being brought in in handcuffs and being tucked away in that interview room. Or the one with attorney David Rudolph, who represented Michael Peterson in The Staircase. And on there, uh, I give a, a sort of my inside view on each of the episodes of The Staircase. And the final one is uh, my view on, on the uh, owl theory. It might even be a talk with one of your favorite true crime podcasters. Justin and I were basically the first to have two hosts covering true crime. And we kind of had to learn as we went. You never know who's going to drop by Crime Sphere to talk some true crime. New episodes of Crime Sphere drop every other Thursday. And you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to subscribe today and don't miss an episode. Been friends for a few years since that first play group date. Of how much you love your chickens. I run around your zoo all day. Drink my Diet Coke when my sweaters no matter how hot it is, but hey, you stand by me anyway. Yeah, yeah. We're both just doing the best we can, solving mysteries in between the laughs with the okayest moms you could ever want. Won't ever take that back on these crazy. Being your partner in crime The gym's getting us nowhere But it's no waste of time Cause anytime we're together I smile right up to my eyes 
eyes I love my reality shows you your rabbit holes of conspiracies in our lives but we still get along just fine for listening to the moms and murder podcast make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode you can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime thanks so much